0: Hi everyone, Um, my name is Grace Hollinsworth and it's so nice to be with you all today. I'm gonna do our scripture reading, it's from Psalm 116. So feel free to turn there in your Bibles or follow along on the screen. This is tall, Wesley is tall. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you for the amazing gift to gather here today to worship and to learn more through your word. We just lift up um, our pastor Cameron to you today, and just ask for your blessing over his words that he speaks and we just pray that your spirit will flow through him and I just lift up every person in this room and every person listening to the live stream that you will open each of our hearts to hear what he has to say and that that truth will just transform us today Lord we love you and your son and your son's name I pray amen
1: well uh my name's Cameron again it's really good to be with you all um, Pete who was playing bass just now informed me this morning that I look like a 1930s inmate uh, in this shirt and I had no re- rebuttal except to say you're right and then I then we started joking about how it could it could have served as like a bad sermon illustration or something which then kind of distracted me this morning in my office as I was thinking about what if we really embrace costumes as like preaching illustration. We'll see. We'll see you next week. Um, we're in the Psalms. Feeling and praying with the Psalms. We've only got one more week left after this, and then we're going to jump back into the gospel according to Mark, which is where we've been. Um, but we've we've now, for I guess six six or seven weeks, We've been looking at a different psalm, uh, for the most part, one psalm per week, uh, kind of trying to tap into one of, I mean, the psalms were used in, in numerous ways, but one of, one of the chief functions of the psalms was to help be a, be a guide for the people of God, both ancient Israel and then, and then the early church, for how to bring your whole self into your relationship with God. Um, we've, we've been looking specifically to this, this frame of, uh, of these different emotions that, if we're honest, we all feel at different times, uh, but if we're also honest, we find that usually in, in churches, maybe even in our own church here, we don't do a good job of like normalizing that yes, Christians feel these things, and it's okay to bring those things unabashedly into your relationship with God. In fact, there's no better place for them except in conversation with God through prayer. Um, so up to this point, we, we, I think we've basically focused on exclusively what we might call negative or difficult emotions. Uh, we've talked about anger, we've talked about grief, we've talked about anxiety, we've talked about fear. Last week we talked about guilt, um, all things that we all feel from time to time. And it's not that those are wrong emotions to have, I want to be very clear, they're not negative emotions in the sense that you should never feel those things. In fact, we, we've continued to note that even the most unpleasant emotions often have something important for us. They often serve, us some, they serve some good purpose uh, for us as indicators. They're like, hey, something is wrong that we need to pay attention to. That's why God made you as a human being an emotional being. They're good. They serve a function. But all the ones we've looked at have at least been unpleasant, like to say the least. Uh, so we're going to shift gears for these last two weeks to talk about ones that are maybe l- a little less difficult uh, on the front end, but but certainly worth getting into. Um, this week, we're going to talk about thankfulness, gratitude. Um, if God is who he claims to be in the scriptures, and if he is who Jesus has revealed him to be in the incarnation... And if the promises that he offers are real and true and actual real things that are going to be fulfilled, then the feeling of gratitude ought to be a regular part of our lives if we're followers of him. One of the first times I realized like how significant thankfulness, gratitude ought to be in the life of the Christian was the first time I really studied this passage in Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 21. I, I remember Uh, It was when I was a youth pastor. I dove into this passage and I was kind of shocked because in that passage, Paul describes what happens or what ought to happen when someone is filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, in Christian theology, we have this idea that God is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit, but that the Spirit uniquely engages with the people of God. He actually comes to indwell us. When when we're saved, when we trust in Christ, and then he he also can at times fill us. He can fill us with his presence. And then there's an overflow there. And here's what Paul says about that overflow. Here's what happens. Verse 18. He says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another. Here, Here we go. Be filled with the Spirit. Now here's what happens. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs Singing and making melody to the lord with your heart Here we go Giving thanks always and for everything to god the father in the name of our lord jesus christ And then submitting to one another out of reverence for christ And then from there in ephesians 5 he goes on to talk about what does submitting to one another look like he talks about marriage He talks about parenting and on and on but submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So one of Paul's like, key marks, you want to know if you're filled with the Spirit? This is not the stuff we think of to our, sh- to, like, to our detriment. We think, we think it ought to look like maybe crazier or, or more wild or something. And God can do crazy and wild things. Don't, don't doubt that. But the normal result of being filled with the Spirit is things like being thankful. <laughs> do you know that? That is what the spirit-filled person ought to look like, giving thanks always and for everything to God in addition to these other things. But if I'm being honest, uh, and I'll, I'll be honest, thankfulness is not something I give myself over to very often. And frankly, it's kind of embarrassing that given what I can freely admit are all my blessings and privileges, the fact that I live where I do, the fact that life has frankly been pretty stinking easy for me. No thanks to almost anything that I've done. Um, despite all that, I don't thank God hardly ever. I mean, I do in kind of a rote way. I, we have, we have a, a decent habit of thanking God before meals and stuff like that in our family. And, you know, part of, part of my prayer life certainly involves thanksgiving. But really, like, engaged, heart level, like, God, I am deeply grateful for something. I don't do it that often to my shame. And I don't know why it is that in our like especially in our like hyper affluent contexts like like America in 2021 we have such trouble giving thanks. If that's the trope of like first world problems, right? Like in our in our context like things that when people are dealing with like am I going to be able to drink water today? We don't even register <laughs> like all of the blessings that we have, we fixate on minor problems. I do, at least. And more than that, I'm, I'm also aware that I often get more enjoyment, or even spend more time, have more fun tearing down things that, like, I t- I turn my nose up at than actually celebrating and being thankful for the things that I really enjoy. Like, if I'm not careful, I'll find myself spending more time like mocking music that I think is lame or stupid or whatever than I will actually just like enjoying and celebrating the things that I genuinely like. There's some kind of sick pleasure I get out of like being condescending towards something. Um, uh, this is a really dumb movie and a really dumb analogy, but this was what came to mind. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't wholeheartedly recommend the movie Anchorman 2 to you necessarily. wouldn't call it one of the greats of our, uh, of, of our last decade or so. But one of the brilliant ideas of that movie was this print like if you haven't seen i'm assuming most people here haven't seen anchorman too um but one of the brilliant premises was basically that ron burgundy will ferrell's character and his team they get hired by in the 80s by the world's first 24-hour news network it's like this brand new idea we're going to show the news 24 7 and in the movie, like, well, what do you have to show 24 hours a day? That's a bad idea. And Ron has the idea. He's like, well, what if we stop like, giving people what they need and we start giving them what they want? <laughs> and we can just fill the time endlessly. And it's the idea of like, the desire for ratings, keeping people engaged 24 hours, uh, dictates what they report. And they begin to get given over to more and more and more like sensational, stupid stories. Um, eventually, it's like just that condescension, that pride, that self-sufficiency, complaining, become far more enjoyable than actually lifting up the good, the true, the beautiful with humility and gratitude. Can look to Ron Burgundy for a case study. We could also look to Psalm 116. It's probably what we ought to do. So I keep pointing at the screen. I didn't put it up on the screen today. That's just muscle memory. You have to look in your Bible, your phone, or whatever. But Psalm 116. Well, let's jump in. Well, it starts with the first four verses. The first two verses actually could probably be the thesis statement of the whole psalm. I love the Lord because he's heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. And then he gives, he gives the context, basically this moment of despair, this moment of um, yeah, anguish. Moment of difficulty in verses 3 and 4. Here was the situation. He says, The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. So the psalmist notes, there was this moment where the snares of death encompassed him. The pangs of Sheol lay hold on him. There was distress. There was anguish. It's similar to that image we we just looked at Psalm 23, the valley of the shadow of death. It's this this almost personification of death, like beating down on this, whoever this author is. And we don't know what the circumstances were. He doesn't tell us much more than this, but we know that he was in danger, maybe even in danger of losing his life, and he was in anguish because of it. He was fearful. It was a horrible moment in this person's life. And his instinct was to call on the name of the Lord. And that's the right instinct. And if we're honest, that's probably the time when most of us actually think to pray, probably more than any other time. Like seriously pray in a way that's not just, you know, kind of like road or habit. is whenever you're facing like a real crisis, real danger, or or your loved one is. For most of us, those are the moments when we're actually driven, like outside of ourselves to say, God, I need you and I need you to act now or I'm going to die. And it's not bad to pray. In fact, that's exactly what we ought to do in those moments. That's what the psalmist does. But let's keep going. Verses 5 through 11 recount something amazing that happened. He says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you've delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, All mankind are liars. So the picture here I want to at least focus on is that he was in this moment of near death, and the grace of God came. And verse 8 shows like almost this comprehensive salvation. His soul was delivered from death, so the end of his life was spared. His eyes were delivered from tears. It's this like the, the pain and the emotional reality. He was comforted. And then his feet were delivered from stumbling. Even his his the troubles, and the, maybe even caused by his own sin, we don't know, was mended. His feet were kept from stumbling. And maybe you can relate to the psalmist's words here. Maybe you can't. Uh, on first blush, but I, th- I think you should, d- 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 to relate to this kind of declaration of the grace of God, because you may or may not have had a truly harrowing life experience. I don't know. I assume there are people in this room that have suffered more than I can probably even imagine right now. I, I-, I imagine there are kinds of pain and kinds of trouble that some of you have experienced that that is beyond what I have. Um, But even if not, I can say with confidence that to live in this broken world is to face pain. Of some some degree, it's to face struggle, it's to face hardship of one form or another. But at the very same time, to live in this world is also to experience some aspect of the grace of God. And let me unpack that for you. Grace is a huge concept biblically. If you are into Christian theology and start reading, you'll discover like millions of books written about grace, kind of trying to analyze it and pick it apart and categorize it. Uh, and that can be helpful. I want to talk about two categories of grace, just, just to, to bring this a bit home. The first is the category of common grace, which I don't think we talk about a whole lot. We should probably talk about it more. Let's, let's start talking about it more. And it, it comes from, from, from scriptures like these. I'm just going to read a few to you, and then we'll, we'll comment. Psalm 145.9, the Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He's made. Matthew 5.45, the words of Jesus, for He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Or Acts 14, verses 15 through 17, with with Paul and Barnabas preaching to Gentiles in Lystra, people who do not know the God of the Bible. Paul says, we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all, all that is in them in past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Taken together, here's here's the point I want to make. Though all humans, the Bible claims, have rebelled against God, and though we're all we are the ones myself as fully as anyone else. We are responsible for the presence of sin and evil, injustice, and even death in this world. Though we've made ourselves our Creator God's enemies, He continues to lavish every single person with gifts, with beauty to enjoy, with the ability to have talents, with gladness to experience, with an orderly world we can benefit from, with patience, with love in this life. And, and, and to be very clear, all these things are true of everyone um, apart from salvation in Christ. Like There is immeasurably even greater blessing than that in salvation in Christ, but these things, these goods, are constantly being poured out on all people even those who are as far away as possible from them the doctrine of common grace reminds us that every like listen to this every good thing anyone in this world can experience if it's genuinely good and you know what even if it's a mixture of good and bad the genuinely good parts that experience is not random it's not happenstance, it is a gift, an intentional gift from the good, gracious, loving God of the universe. It's, it's a gift from a person, from a personal God. And, and, and because it's not just a random fact of reality, it's actually a gift from God, our response is, ought to be thankfulness. There is someone to thank. Every time you experience a measure of goodness in this world, it's because he loves you. And I say that to you if you're in Christ, even if you have no idea what we're talking about, or even if you're thinking about your friend, you're like, well, this friend seems to have a pretty good life, but they don't know, they hate Jesus, they hate the Bible, they hate Christianity. God loves them, and he's pouring every inch of goodness they've experienced. This. They don't even know it. They would you know, flip the middle finger to God, but he is still offering them his goodness and gifts moment to moment even in the form of the beautiful Sun coming on down on them even if they're a talented artist and you're like that person doesn't honor God Why are they so you know so talented because he's gifted them He's that good he in he gives us the ability to experience His grace whether we know him or not in immeasurable ways that is amazing that That's the kind of God the Bible claims is the God of the universe The right and proper thing to do, whether it's in the small or the big, any time you experience goodness in this world is to respond with thankfulness to a person, namely the person of the God of the universe, the triune God, most revealed in Jesus Christ. So That's common grace. That's a a kind of grace of God that is poured out on every single person in this world. And then there's saving grace which we talk about, hopefully we talk about it every single week here, because there's really there's, you don't graduate beyond talking about this. It's the special kind of grace that God has poured out through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. He's taken the consequences of our sin into Himself, He's borne our guilt, He's borne our shame, He's borne our sin, He's borne all that we deserve and He died on the cross in our place. And He has triumphed over sin, over Satan, He's triumphed over anything that might separate us from Him, any and everything, over death itself. And He offers us His righteousness. He offers us genuine forgiveness. He offers us an eternal place in His kingdom and family that can never be taken away. That's good news. That is good news. That is is special grace. That is saving grace. That is the grace of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you, so, if you have trusted in Christ, you can say along with this psalmist on an even deeper level than they, could, they were even aware of that for you, God, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. That's a promise that comes to you when you receive the gospel, the saving grace of God. So these are truth. <laughs> when you start thinking about grace, and, and, and we didn't even mention this, the word grace is, 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 the, is the right word for all this because it's something that we don't deserve. It's not as though any of us can sit back and go, well, I, I clearly deserve all the blessings. I deserve to live in a city as gorgeous as Portland and all the wonderful things there are to experience. Um, It's grace, it's unmerited, it's not deserved. It's something that He, though He was under no obligation to, and just because He's that generous and that kind, His love is overflowing so much, He chooses freely to offer to you. The more you think about the grace of God, the more incomprehensible His love seems and the more we ought to love Him in response. So, whatever you have experienced in this life, um, you've been a beneficiary of the grace of God in one of those two forms, at least common grace, and certainly if you've you've come to know Him, if you've come to place your trust in Christ, you've come to, to know something even deeper and broader and wider and bigger and more beautiful, if you can believe it. So what do we do if that's true? Well, the last section of the psalm, verses 12 through 19, says, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefit to me? That's a good question to ask. If all that is true, if all that is actually true, what shall I render to the Lord? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I'm your servant. I'm your servant, the son of your maidservant. You've loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. And that's the end of the psalm. Verse 12 asks the question, what is the proper response to the grace of God, to the mercy I've been shown, to the rescue I've been shown? And then he goes on to answer. And I, I commentator Gwyneth Reich, she she notes this. I think she summed it up really well. She says, the experience of salvation it's not confined to, confined to the past. It affects life now and in the future. Life now is full of confidence and gratitude. future will be one of lifelong willing service, especially prayer, and witness. You'll tell other people about the goodness that God has shown to you. This psalm's getting at the fact that grace, whether it's whether it's common grace or whether it's the grace of God in a particular situation, you know, you've got some struggle, you prayed, oh, lo and behold, God actually did help you in that thing, through that thing. Or whether it's the grace of salvation, each of these ought to produce a response. It doesn't always. We can experience the grace of God and just forget about it, just do, just not care, just take it for granted, just have a hard heart, whatever. I do that all the time. But it ought to produce a radical response. And I, I, I don't know, I feel like church circles I've run in have kind of abused this illustration to death, so I'm hesitant to use it. Maybe you've heard it before, but maybe not. Either way, it's one of the best ones. If you've ever read the book, read the novel, or, or seen like the musical or film adaptation of the musical of Les Miserables, the story of, of this bishop, Bishop Muriel, welcoming this vagrant guy, Jean Valjean, into his home. And Jean Valjean comes, he says, I'm hungry, I have nothing. This, this bishop welcomes him in, gives him food, he gives him a bed, he gives him rest, he cares for him, he's interested in him. He befriends him. But sure enough, what Jean Valjean does is in the middle of the night, he gets up, he steals all of the bishop's silver, and he leaves. He steals from from the man, takes advantage of his generosity, and he goes. Well, he's caught by the police. And the police bring him back to the bishop, and they say, we've caught this man who stole from you. Remember the scene? The bishop's response is, what are you talking about? Those things were a gift. Oh, and Jean, you forgot the candlesticks. And he goes and he gets the silver candlesticks and he puts them in Jean's bag. And the the officers are like, this doesn't quite seem right. And from that moment forward, when, when Jean, guilty, guilty as charged, standing there about to feasibly be put in jail, whatever, this bishop... In this amazing depiction of what of what genuine Christianity, someone moved by the grace of God, certainly someone who's a bishop, a priest, someone who ought to accurately reflect God, he does. And he shows grace upon grace upon grace to Jean Valjean. And the result is the rest of Les Miserables. Jean Valjean's life is utterly transformed. He becomes a man of generosity. A man who doesn't steal from others, but a man who actually works to give and to provide and to bless those around him. It's beautiful. I'm actually... I struggle with musicals. I, I don't know why I like music. Uh, I respect theater. Uh, I, I, I'm interested in acting. Uh, certainly, like I love film in general. But I always have a really hard time getting into musicals, except Les Miserables. For some reason, every version of it I've seen, it, it just grips me. And I think it's because of things like this, this way it taps into this radical depiction, this beautiful depiction of grace. Grace that we often just don't have the eyes to see. Final phrase of this psalm is praise the Lord. The proper response to God's deliverance is, is thanksgiving and public praise. So if you're in Christ... The story of this psalm is your story. Again, whether circumstances have been relatively easy or crushing, or crushing, absolutely crushing, this is still your story. If you're in Christ, you were in anguish, but you were healed. You were lost, but you were found. You were dead, but you were brought to life. And sometimes we get to experience this in temporal matters. Again, God is good. He's gracious. He answers prayer. Common grace is beautiful, and it's real, and it's powerful. But everyone in Christ, in the, in the most fundamental way you possibly could, you have, you have experienced what the psalmist is experiencing. You've been dead. You've been an enemy of God, and you have been brought by at great cost to him, at ultimate cost to him, into the family. And given a seat, a seat at the table in his kingdom, in his family. You've been called a son. You've been called a daughter. So I think, I think what this song I'm always, always hesitant to say, therefore, go and do this, but it's been a while since we've done it, so I'm going to do it this time, lest, you know, lest we forget. This is all grace. But I do think in response to the grace, not, not to try to earn it, but because it's already been given to you if you're in Christ, I would encourage us all to work, to work, to remember. To see and to remember the grace of God that's been shown to you. Work to develop a life of thanksgiving and gratitude. Pray for the filling of the Spirit. Pray that it's a su- even a supernatural work that will come out of you simply by the Spirit of God at work in your heart. But, but note that this psalm itself, was it was a memorial for this psalmist. The psalmist could have experienced whatever the circumstance was that led to the writing of the psalm. He could have said, oh wow, this thing happened, that's amazing, and you know moved on with his life and forgotten about it but he wrote it down in this beautiful ancient poetry that's now been preserved and and maintained for us for a millennia, for a long, long time. Two millennia, a really, really long time. He wrote it down, he turned his experience, he made a monument out of his experience that he might not forget and we should do the same. When you, when you think about let's think about it in terms of common grace. When you experience the goodness of, of God in these mundane ways that we don't even think about as a gift from God, but they are, when you actually have a moment where, the, where clarity breaks through the fog and you go, wow, this is a blessing, like celebrate it. Tell someone, celebrate the moment. Then I think it's worth like having some habit of, of, of journaling. I'm really bad at this. I'd love to get better at this. Have some habit of writing things down, of, of, of actually like memorializing in some way so that you don't forget. And pray through them. Pray, pray prayers of, of gratitude. Pray prayers of thanksgiving the same way the psalmist does. Pray prayers of praise in response. And share them with others. The psalmist talks about these public declarations. He's going to go in the midst of the people and he's going to proclaim the goodness of God. Get in that habit. Whether it's in your community group, whether it's just with someone here on a Sunday, whether it's with a friend, whether it's with someone who has no relationship with with God. Celebrate publicly. Tell. Share. Flex these muscles. Build these habits of not only learning to recognize the grace of God, but to actually memorialize it that you might not forget. We forget. I forget. You forget. May we not. May we be people who have the eyes to see what God is up to in our midst. And may we praise Him in response. And may we not just let those float off into the ether, but may those be the things that sustain us. You're going to hit some... Ru- things might be good for you right now. I don't know, but you're going to hit at some point, just ask someone else in the room, a really dark, hard patch that seems impossible. And, and, and th- building this habit, building this practice now, cultivating a heart of intentional thanksgiving and intentional remembrance will serve you well. In those patches to come. And yet it also might serve someone else well who's struggling. With these reminders of who God is, that He really is good, that He really does care, that He really does save, that He really does work. And we can trust Him. That's it. Door of Hope Northeast, may we become a people who get more and more comfortable and more and more capable of thanksgiving, of gratitude. We're going to need the Spirit's help to do that. So why don't we pray? Ask Him to do it in us.